he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. get me a gay mickey gotta get a gay hello and welcome to another episode of in the details a celebration of nuance where lately each week i queen out on all the acting choices micro moments and magic and the minutiae that make a scene great my name is colin drucker your name is barbara bell gettys and how nice to see you again so soon after the last episode that by my by my watch came out last week i am sticking to my word um, I didn't say it came out on the same day. I just said I'd have an episode every week. So check the contract. Anyway, it is a busy podcast season. So if if you couldn't wait this long for this episode, you could also hear just a plug. You know, I feel like, again, if you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to Best Supporting Podcast and All Right, Mary. But in particular, on Best Supporting Podcast, we recently had our 100th episode and we had our, much like the nuances, heard in the details, we had our own imaginary award show named after character actress Celia Weston, The Westons, which was probably one of the most ambitious efforts I've ever had in terms of editing, because much like the nuances, it was a lot of audio clips, it was a lot of music. It even included Tony Collette from Hereditary, which is a, a nuances staple at this point. So it was a, a, a ton of work and so worth it. And I'm very proud of it. And so if you have not listened to Best Supporting Podcast, that's a great episode to start with because it basically catches you up on like the last two years slash 100 episodes of that podcast. So anyway, before we get into the main feature of this week's episode, I cannot go on a minute longer without letting some some steam out of the pot here, that I had the divine privilege of seeing the movie Mass. And I've been biting my tongue as much as possible on Best Supporting Podcast about it because Nick hasn't seen it yet, and I don't want to ruin anything. Not that there's really spoilers, but it's like you don't want to, you don't want to go in with any expectations. You don't want to go in with someone saying, like, oh, my God, this is the performance of the year because then you've got those lenses on, you know? But, I mean, I would imagine, much like if you were listening to Best Supporting Podcast, if you listen to In the Details, you probably know about Mass. But the less you know, the better. I think the thing to know is that it's four people in a room acting for most of the movie. And those four people, of course, are Anne Dowd, Martha Plimpton, Jason Isaacs, and Reed Burney. And it's, I mean, I am, I am recording this on a Thursday and hopefully posting it the same day, fingers and toes crossed. But on Saturday, I'm going to see Mass again. This is the most Mass I've attended since, you know, getting confirmed in eighth grade. I don't know, but I'm boom, Catholic humor. But I, <laughs> I'm going to see it again on Saturday, and this screening will include a Q&A with one Dame and Dowd. Can you stand it? Ugh. I'm not going to ask her any questions. I actually, to be honest with you, I hate audience Q&As. I think 
especially in New York. Oh God, you get the biggest fucking weirdos. You know, you just you you just get someone who's lived in New York too long, and life in this city has worn them down to the point that everyone is kind of like a variation of Larry David. You know, especially the women in some cases, and you just get some you know, character from the Upper West Side with her, you know, Foster's Grant readers on and, and she's got a criticism. She's got a point of view. She's got a, you know, well, you know, as a mother, uh, she's got one of those things. And I don't think Ann Dowd needs anyone to tell her what uh, being a mother or acting as a mother entails because she fucking nails it in this movie. It's, I, I there will certainly be, there's going to be a Best Supporting Podcast episode about it. There'll probably be an In the Details episode but um, Nick, if you're listening, you know, fast forward and anyone who doesn't want it disqualified at all, fast forward. I'm not going to spoil anything. I will just say that what will go in the Hall of Fame with Beatrice Strait and uh, Tony Collette and Hereditary, aforementioned in terms of monologues and just moments that I just like clutch the pearls at my, at my neck, rip them clear off my clavicles. And, you know, just sent those pearls akimbo because I just couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was watching. And add to that, certainly, certainly Ann Dowd, especially there's kind of a surprise moment at the end that you don't see coming. You think that you've gotten all the Dowd you're going to get and um, there's more and there's more. Uh, you could see this movie as well and Dowd to recycle a joke from the Best Sporting Podcast. So, yeah, more bad humor for you. I know. I have, I've... I've lost everyone but my cat at this point. So that happens, and I don't want to tell you anything more about that because Jesus Christ, it's like, okay, give her the goddamn Oscar. But it's almost like, well, of course, it's Anne Dowd. It's Anne Dowd, you know, not to be Julian Nicholson in Mayor of Easttown. It's my Ryan. It's my Anne Dowd, you know? But Martha Plimpton, I... To be honest with you, for a very long time, I wasn't very familiar with her, except that I knew that she existed. I think I knew that she was in the Goonies, and I think I had kind of had this weird false equation of like, well, she's kind of like the great value Jodie Foster, right? Which is terrible, but there's a, there's a resemblance. They could play siblings. And then I think I saw her in uh, whatever production in 2007 or whatever of Company with Neil Patrick Harris, and she was in the uh the the Barbara Barry role. She was in that role. She was in the karate couple role. And uh I'm forgetting her name, but you know who I'm talking about. That can't be blocked, you know? Anyway, so at some point I think Martha Plimpton gets to say that and I don't think it's gonna be as good as Barbara Barry. Yeah, well, I could have blocked that. No, that can't be blocked. You wanna do it again? Okay. I'll come at you again. Okay. Actually I could have prevented that. Oh. By blocking it. No, that can't be blocked. It certainly can. I just didn't do it. Anyway, Robert, that can't be blocked. <laughs> Let's do it again. I'll All right, you again. Okay. But anyway, I saw her in that, and I was like, oh, wow, Martha Plimpton is, like, really nuanced. And, oh, the gravelly, raspy voice I love, you know? Say hello to my friend, Brenda Vaccaro. Oh, Mo, we gotta touch this. Uh, oh, Mo, we gotta touch this. You know, oh, Martha, we got to talk. So I, I love that already. And so I was excited to kind of see, oh, cool, Martha Plimpton in this. 
Holy shit. I think people are... The thing is, people are already kind of saying Anne Dowd should be up for serious consideration for Best Supporting Actress. And I just... I mean, I know that the Oscars mean nothing. And I know that there's tons of competition and bigger, you know, campaigning that will happen and flashier nominations. But, like, pound for pound, the acting that Martha Plimpton does in this movie, A, the chemistry she and Jason Isaacs have is remarkable I, I and he is oh wow is he amazing he is eventually we'll talk about him again he is in there's this movie called nine lives and i may have mentioned it here at some point but it's like nine different somewhat interconnected stories and they're all 10 minute scenes that are filmed in a single take and so one of them is a scene with jason isaac and robin wright previously Penn. Uh, in a supermarket, and ugh, it's a hole in the details episode. It's so good. Anyway, so I've kind of always liked him from that. I was like, oh, yeah, Jason Isaac. And he's, you know, uh, not bad on the peepers, you know what I'm saying? And so in this, I mean, the two of them are just remarkable. And he gets some moments. Ugh, God bless that. Um, but uh, Martha Plimpton, it's interesting for much of the movie, I was like, boy, she's not getting as much to do as everybody else. She's being a bit more reactionary and just kind of, uh, the heat's on lower on that pot. They're letting it boil at a slower pace. But then she gets a monologue, sort of the climactic monologue of the movie. I was in hog heaven. I mean, it's so sad and so powerful. And, you know, oh my God, the movie just... It, they, it just embezzles the tears out of your face. It's just like, these are mine. Nope. You know, uh, you're not leaving here intact. And I'm like, just take them. Oh, my God, you win. It's so earned. Anyway, so so if if you kind of are feeling when you, when you see this movie, because please see this movie. Um, oh, boy, Martha Plimpton, you know, when's her moment? Just you wait. She gets... She gets so much. And anyway, that's some feelings on mass. Now, uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier grizzled New Yorkers at screenings doing making Q&As uncomfortable. And, you know, God love them. They're the fabric of the city. You know, they're the itchy wool of New York, but uh, they'll keep you warm. But I think New York is on has been on my mind recently and is certainly the under the undercurrent of this episode. The theme, the inspiration... Because, you know, for the most part in the past few months, years, how and how long, you know, this chapter has been, but certainly since even before that, even before I quit my day job, I've just been mostly home, you know, and I live in, in Astoria, which is, you know, uh, a, a great neighborhood of New York, but like squint and you might be in a neighborhood in Chicago, you know what I mean? You might, you might be any other neighborhood, not in New York, you know, so the New York feeling is there more in the nuances, in the details, so to speak, which is a great name for a podcast. And so I have been, I think to me, the idea of like re-experiencing or re-entering New York is like literally re-entering it, is literally taking the train, taking the subway into Manhattan. And basically, I think it comes down to like reintegrating the parts of life in New York that I hate. I mean, I live in this neighborhood for a reason. It's not the cheapest neighborhood. It, it's um, There are cheaper places to live, but it's like the most 
or the least like New York in some ways. It's it's very neighborhoody, you know. Um, I like it because it's like, oh, this could be Chicago. And there were moments in the past couple of weeks where I was like, Chicago, 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 Chicago. I just kind of kept saying it just to see how it would sound, how it would feel. Because, of course, I've been there twice. In both times we're in the summer. So I feel like I'm pretty qualified in Chicago, right? Uh, and, and that's the thing. It's like I'm absolutely not. And I'm once again, uh, once again, I am looking for a geographic solution to a likely emotional, psychological, spiritual, existential problem. So... Um, my baggage will greet me at O'Hare is essentially how it goes. I've been through this before. Uh, when I lived in uh, Sacramento, we've tried this before. Australia, we've tried this before. So anyway, that's a tangent. Point being, I'm trying to kind of re-embrace a bit of New York, and that requires taking the subway, which I used to do all the time. And, you know, I had an unlimited monthly card. I was like, I'm sure I'll get my money's worth. I commuted every day. The idea of, of taking more than one train ride in one day was, you know, hopping on the subway a few times, doing a couple errands, heading uptown, downtown, you know, uh, whatever, you know, cross town, you know, wherever trains go, uh, transfers, you know, I wouldn't take a bus, like I'm not crazy. Uh, that was fine. But of course, now, now that I've kind of settled into a bit of a homier life, I can walk to the supermarket, I can walk to pretty much any basic need, you know, haircut, you know, even if I have to go to the doctor, you know, if I have to go to the vet, God forbid, for Marco, knock on wood, you know, he's fine. So having lived that that kind of quieter life, that, oh, am I in Chicago kind of life, this is all just exhausting. And and it just feels like an effort. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm practically packing a granola bar. And it's like, it takes about 15 minutes to get into Manhattan. It's not a big deal. But the other thing is, of course, not really just the distance, which is is obviously not real, but it's, you know, the, the other lovely thing about th this th this past, you know, couple years, whatever, is um, the distance that I've had from my fellow New Yorkers, because you don't get much of that, especially on the subway. And, I mean, that was really the worst of it. I mean, it's so, what a, what a delight. The idea of commuting every day is becoming less of a norm, because... I can't tell you how many times I've had the crisis on the subway platform and I've sat down. There was one time years ago, I sat, I, I got to Grand Central and I was supposed to transfer to like the 456 and then this, and the subway was like flooded with people. It was, there was, you know, late trains, whatever. Um, and I promise all of this ties into spooky nuances, by the way, though you may be on the edge of your seat already. So who knows? What's spooky to you could just be, you know, PTSD to me. But there's a, a, you know, late trains, whatever, a flood of people. And I, I'm like, okay, I can't even go down to the platform. So I just kind of go back up the stairs and I sit down on a bench and I was like, I don't know what to do. I can't do it anymore. There's no gas in the tank. I just can't do this. I can't live like this. And, you know, it, it, and that's nothing, new, nothing unique. You know, like we all know this. This is, this is like one of the costs of living in New York. You know, and it's why that, that neurotic New Yorker on the Upper West Side with the Foster's Grants and the stupid questions at the Q&A um, is how she is, is because this is what wears you down in this city. Fun fact, not long after that day at, at the Grand Central, I made the decision to leave New York and go to Sacramento. And granted, that wasn't a permanent solution, but um, that was a, a significant turning point. 
So um, all of this to say that I have been thinking about the subway. I started thinking about like, what is what's a what what's a real nightmare subway station experience in a movie, and what really captures just like really how awful the subway can be, and not from a like, uh, commuting is the worst. This guy's armpit is in my face. Give me like a dystopian nightmare underground in a subway station. I was thinking through some examples. There's a bunch. I mean, there's so many, and it's whether you're on the train or you're on the subway platform. Like what? I think there's a there's a uh, a subway scene in in Dress to Kill that is good. I don't love it. Uh, there's a scene in Jacob's Ladder, but I haven't really seen all of Jacob's Ladder because I don't really know. I know there's like a I know Elizabeth Pena's in it, but I think she turns into a demon. So like, who am I gonna root for? You know, Tim Robbins. Um, so there is uh, from 1981. There's a movie called The Fan, which we did on All Right Mary uh, as a as a Matreon, and that has a rather harrowing scene for Maureen Stapleton. You know, what is this bliss shit? We should play that clip here. Oh, my God. We should talk about the fan at some point on this podcast just so I can integrate this quote into our lives. Whoever told you that life was supposed to be uninterrupted bliss? What is this bliss shit? But anyway, she gets attacked by the killer in in a subway station, but she doesn't die, thank God. Um, But it's they could have gone further. Um, The example that I landed on because I've gone on so on so long here, let's just get to the example that I landed on, is from the 1980 movie Maniac. I can't even say I recommend you watch this movie because it's pretty dark. I mean, if you want that, if you want slimy and grimy and dark and depressing, and you want that like real grimy New York feeling, and I don't know why we crave that, but I get it. You want that like filthy New York thing, you know? Maniac is is exactly what you're looking for. I told you not to go out tonight. You are about to face the screen's most horrifying challenge. I see something. Now let's get out of here. Somebody else. You're about to face... (laughs) Maniac. Tonight won't be like other nights. Tonight, terror is waiting. Something's out there. Vicious, without pity. Turning the air thick with fear. A madman's out there, a step too quick, dangerously strong, and your blood will stain the dark streets. You are about to experience horror more real than anything you could ever imagine. I told you not to go out tonight. You're about to experience maniac. You'll tear the life out of you. An analysis film's release, no one under 17 admitted. The movie is directed by William Lustig. All of the special effects are done by Tom Savini. So it's like, if you love those kind of practical effects, then I think you would really enjoy this movie. The killer, and it's just about this this killer with, you know, some real fucking mommy issues who's going on a killing spree in New York. But he's played by Joe Spinell, who, from what I've gathered, this is really just absolutely perfect casting. He, he seems like a bit of a tragic figure. Uh... I guess worth seeing just to kind of see the perfect casting. Uh, in terms of the ladies, there is a a surprising for, you know, this character. You know, his name is Frank Zito. And I'm like, oh, that's such a New York and 1980s name. But he has a love interest played by Carolyn Monroe, who I'm just going to spoil it. She survives. He tries to kill her in a graveyard. She escapes. 
which is really the only redeemable thing is that not every woman dies in this movie, but indeed a lot of women die. And the scene in question is there is a nurse and we don't, we only really see her, I think in this scene. I don't think she's got much other screen time uh, or even a name, but there is a nurse coming home late from the hospital one night and she's somewhere up in like the Midtown West area because she is taking a train at the Columbus Circle, which is at 59th Street and like 7th Avenue. And so now Columbus Circle, when you step out, I think it used to be the Time Warner Center. I think it's called like the Deutsche Bank Center now. But it's this, you know, big, glassy, glitzy building. There's a Whole Foods in the basement. There's a bunch of, you know, fancy clothing stores, you know, and whatnot uh, and fancy restaurants in the building. So it's a real, you know, hot spot now. Uh, but I don't know. I not so much back then. She is all by herself. Things close up shop and get real quiet in that part of town in 1980. And it is, oh God. So th- the way that it's set up of him following and she can hear the footsteps. I mean, it really digs into definitely the fears that I have had where I thought, oh, is somebody following me? And I don't know about you, but I like to get my house keys out and kind of do a little Wolverine and get my keys between my fingers. And I always, that makes me feel better. And I kind of like, I don't practice, but I just kind of clench and I think about, okay, and swipe and go right for the eyes, you know, which is awful, but you got to do what you got to do, you know? And so she dashes into the subway station and she's got a bit of a lead on him. And so this is back in the day when there were tokens Uh, which is not even part of my New York experience. I don't remember when they switched to Metro cards, but it was certainly before 2007. And, you know, she's fiddling to to get the subway tokens out and there's change has fallen out of her purse. And one of the details I love is just the ads, the ads in the subway station. I feel like there's, there's definitely an old like Marlboro ad. And I just, I don't know, 1980s cigarette ads in subway stations like that's something I would want to get a picture of and framed and put in my apartment you know just the, ugh, there's just such an aesthetic to it so I will say the music here and I'll play a little of it I'm not going to play like a lot of audio from this scene because it's it, there's a there's there's almost zero dialogue and b eventually the audio is just like her like you know hyperventilating and then eventually screaming because spoiler alert this doesn't end well um, and another reason, I, I the scene is on YouTube, by the way, and I'll put a link in the description. I'm just going to warn you. I don't know if you should watch it to the very end because the kill is real. Like, it, it made me feel really dirty. But uh, I just want you to know what you're getting into. You know, obviously, this isn't going to be sunshine and lollipops, you know. So she sees that he's coming down the stairs and there's almost like a Halloween vibe to this. The music kicks in. She pushes through these old, you know, some stations still have this, these old, like, gated turnstiles, which, you know, ends up kind of being to her downfall because I guess, you know, nowadays you can't really get trapped in a subway station, but back in the day. So she gets down to the platform, and there's a, tr- there's a D train there, and the doors are closed. It looks like it's just sitting there. And certainly I can identify with, like, it's late at night, and I've gotten to the subway station, and I, the train, my train is at the platform like, oh God, please don't make me wait another 10, 15 minutes because it's going to take a while late at night. Whatever, For whatever reason, the doors do not open. She's struggling to get the door open. The train pulls away. And I, the movie does this a few times, but it's this like, this kind of staccato freeze frame zoom in. And it does it, because I know, I remember it does it at the very end of the movie. But 
it does this like of her seeing him coming down the stairs to the platform and then it also does the freeze frame zoom in uh of her face and then she screams and runs away and she runs up up the stairs you know up to to exit the subway station from another exit but it's all of these gated turnstiles and they're locked and so that entrance slash exit is closed and this is where they don't, none of these are open anymore, but she runs into a bathroom. There are no open subway bathrooms anymore. And I just can't even imagine ugh, a New York subway bathroom, especially in 1980. I mean, you can smell this scene. You can smell this room the moment she runs in there. And, you know, I, I like to think, like, oh, what would I do differently in this scene? But... I don't know if I would do this, but you know, in a moment of panic, I gotta run somewhere. So she runs into the subway bathroom and she runs into the the last stall and hides there. And you know, this scene, this this trope of, of someone hiding in a bathroom stall and the killer coming in and checking each stall never gets old, just never gets old. What's super fucked up with this is he gets to the second to last stall and you can see that he knows she's in there. And so he just kind of like stops and you, there's just a shot of him just like looking at the stall and then casually turning and leaving the bathroom. It's like, oh God, no, no. Because what's awful then is then she eventually, I mean, she's like trying to keep herself from having a total panic attack. And she eventually slips out of the stall and, and feels like she's safe. And she thinks she hears him having left completely. And so then you have to spend like the next minute of her slowly leaving the bathroom and, and well, not even leaving. She goes to the sink to then like wash her face and she even starts to laugh and she's relieved. And you know, that movie trick, you bend down to, you know, wash your face at a sink. And, and if there's a mirror, when you stand up, you, you better best believe there's gonna be someone behind you. And sure enough, there he is, musical sting, Awful, off. You know, there's a very, very long like. It's not a knife. It's not a sword. It's somewhere in between, and uh, it's Shish Kebab City for Nurse Jackie. And oh, and and the worst is he says something while he's doing it. He's like, "Oh, is that how you like it, baby?" Or something like that. Oh, it just. Oh my God, it's so. This movie makes you want to take a shower. It really does. If some people, especially nowadays, sometimes you just you're like, my senses are just burned out. My nervous system is wrecked. So like, I'm gonna need this to feel anything at all. If that's the kind of Halloween you're having, then Maniac is the movie for you. I um I think this is all only made me more sensitive. So uh, if that's the if that's who you are, this is not the scene for you. But if you want really the perfect encapsulation of just like the New York subway in the in the 80s. If you get if you get off on grimy New York, especially during this Hall Halloween season, this this scene slash this movie is uh, this is your cup of of dirty soup. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, the other thing I'm going to recommend before I go is there is uh, my my podcast friend Jody sent this to this group chat that I have with her and with Amanda from We Love to Hate TV and Amanda Loves a Hate Teen Mom and with Nick, my my best supporting podcast co-host. But it's this short movie, like four minutes long, uh, called Man on the Train. And I'm just going to put the link in the description 
if if you don't want to watch this maniac scene because you don't want to see that grimy awfulness, I totally get it. But if you want a really fucking creepy little movie in four minutes set on a train with barely any dialogue, oh my god, man on the train, I was, oh, oh my god, I just I don't even know I don't. I I went to clutch my pearls and they were already gone because of mass and so I just, um, I just. I just kept my hands there and I just, oh my God. Anyway, that is my little gift to you at the end of this episode. I realized that this episode was a lot of me just complaining about life in New York. So maybe this was a bit more for me than you, but I just thought I'd put a bit of an iceberg underneath this scene. But thank you for indulging me. Um, I hope you learned something from this, this old lady. You know, I am her. That's the twist at the end of this is that that, that old lady with the Foster's grants and the stupid question if that's not me now, that's going to be. I'm on my way. I already live in Queens. You know, I mean, there's a lot of grandmas and aunts out here. I am just blending in. So, and Dad, watch out, because I got some thoughts about your movie. But I think you should win. I think you should win anyway. I, I shouldn't put you through this. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on any of what I just said, or really just in general. It's such a pleasure to hear from people through this podcast. I, it's, you know, I'm just like, oh my God, you heard the whole episode and you were still compelled to say hello. I, I they think we'll get along just fine. Uh, so if you want to do that, if you want to be one of those people, you can just drop me an email at in the details pod at gmail.com. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter at Colin Drucker or Instagram, which also features lots of pictures of my cat, Marco, mostly pictures of my cat, Marco at Colin Drucker underscore. And, uh, of course, you can hear me on All Right, Mary. We're about to start doing Dragula Season 4 if you want even more spooky content. Um, and we're doing some movies on the main feed. We talked about Misery. We talked about Aliens. Uh, we're about to do Silence of the Lambs. Like, there's, there's, there's a lot. And, of course, Best Supporting Podcast, as you know. Uh, we're also doing spooky episodes there. So, uh, yeah. I'm, I can't get enough of this shit. So anyway, I'll be back next week. I got a really, you know, jam-packed episode planned, so I got to get to work. Anyway, give it to them, Brenda. But anyway, that's it, baby. See ya. That's it. I think I'll be going, if you'll excuse me. Ah! That's what I said. I'm staying, I'm staying.